Nice to see you this morning. Are you there? Nice to see you. Noah, you did a great job this morning. Noah has a difficult job taking people who've been thinking about something else for six days and have only been up for a few minutes and somehow tuning us into the most important thing in life. And that's tough. You did a great job, and uh, I appreciate being able to worship with you. I say this often when I come up and, and speak, that I appreciate being able to sit with my faith family, stand together with you, worship and celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. That helps me every week. So uh, it's great to be with you and uh, appreciate Noe's leadership and the band. You guys did a, did a super job. Yeah, really a super job. So I don't know about you, but uh, half the tribe at my house is sick and the other half is either getting sick or getting better. And we're all at these little different places. So Lisa was supposed to be here and there was supposed to be, you got something in your worship folder about some books on sale in the foyer. That's going to happen uh, next week, not this week. Those of you who, uh, how many of you saw that Walla Walla, Walla Walla made the news this week for being one of the most miserable weather cities in the country? Yeah, Walla Walla made the news, uh, weather.com. It ranked as uh, one of the highest level miserable winter cities uh, for the year. Yeah, you can look it up. Look it up. Look it up. Uh, weather.com. Weather.com. And, you know, that's kind of validating, don't you think? It just makes you think you're not such a sissy. You know, that, that this really was kind of a crazy, crazy winter. I know folks who've moved here, this is their first winter. Or it's not their first winter. It's their fifth winter. And they moved up here being told that it was, yeah, winter's no problem. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, you know. So it's been quite the, quite the year. But last couple of days have been nice and a little bit of sunshine and that's good. All right. Hey, uh, what we're going to do this, this morning is important. I'll be honest with you. I had, um, uh, had this message and I, I thought it was well balanced and, and was saying the right things. I was able to fit everything I wanted to say in there and I thought, oh, I'm really glad I can say everything because I feel like everything I need to say is really important and I'm glad it all fit. You know, I know about where I should end on a page to be, I know about how long it ought to be. And, and when I printed it this morning, I realized that I'd actually written this message in eight point font. And so uh, that's about two points, two font points smaller than I used. So I printed it up normal and it's yeah, so we better get going. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I read a statement this week. It says this. Imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how well we treated each other. Now think about that. A world where people are skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how we treated each other. Imagine that world. Well, the first part doesn't take a lot of imagination, does it? Imagine a world that's skeptical of what we believed. Okay, I got that. Uh, but envious of how we treated each other, oh yeah, that would be something. Well, that is actually God's vision for his people, the church. That we, that we would live in such a way that, that uh, those who are skeptical of what we believed would be envious of how we treated each other. That's why we're in this study called God's Church your family, because we're talking about what it means to be part of this family called the church. And we've, uh, up to this point, we've spent four Sundays. We've learned a lot uh, over these several Sundays. I hope that you have. We've learned that God has adopted us into his family, and he wants us to find our place in a, t- in a local expression of that family, 
a local expression of the family called the local church. And we've been, we, we as Jesus followers, the minute you turn to Jesus, a number of different things happened to you. Your sins were forgiven. Your relationship with God was repaired. But one of the things that happened to you is you were familified. You were put into a family where God is your father and you have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters in this thing called the church. And this church, this, this, this church is a family and family means strong group. It means that what, uh, that what I want is not as important as what, what we want together. What I'm able to get is not as important as how I'm able to serve. That this, this strong group connection to, uh, to one another is more important than our own individual aspirations. That the health of the body is more important than any of our individual agendas. And that in this strong group family, the primary distinguishing trait is supposed to be our love for each other. The family resemblance, the way that you could say, oh, that's part of, they're part of that family, that distinguishing trait is our love for each other. And loving each other as fellow followers is a command that Jesus has given us, a new command. And one of the things that makes it new is it has a new standard. And the new standard for loving each other, now that Jesus has come, is to love like he loved, and he died for us. That's how much he loved us. And this is how we know what love is. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. That's the new standard. And that's how we are to love each other. And when we love each other like this, the world looks at us and they see Jesus. That in one kind of long paragraph, it represents what we've learned over these last four Sundays. And all those things are important. They are super important. That's why we've taken time each one of these four Sundays to talk about these different ideas because they are critical for us to understand. But here's the deal. They are just ideas. These are just words so far. They're just words. They're uh, uh, under, just understanding these truths and filling our head with these truths is not sufficient. Just believing them doesn't mean that we're actually putting them into practice, right? It's just knowledge at this point. So now what it's time to do over the next three Sundays is to take these ideas and start finding ways to put them into practice. To, to, to find ways. Up to now, we've just been learning things. But starting today, we want to start living some things. Uh, it's time to shift the conversation. The groundwork is intentional. This foundation we've laid, really important. But now it's time to shift the conversation from this important groundwork. We need to shift the conversation from these ideas to action. From theory to practice. From words to deeds. From imaginary people to the one and others who are right here in this room. That's what we want to do. Jesus' closest follower, John, tells us how important it is that we make this shift. John says, dear children, notice the family language, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. John knows it's not enough just to aspire to love, but that we actually need to carry it out. If it's love, it will be lived out. 
And we don't want to be a faith family that just talks about love. We want to live love. So I want us to start putting some serious flesh on what it means to be a loving faith family. Not in words and not in ideals, but in actually how we, start, how we treat one another. That's what I want to do over these next several weeks. In these next three weeks, we're going to talk about how three different ways that we put family love into action. And the first of those, what we're going to talk about today, is really the most important because it, it sets the tone. It's, it sets the framework for everything that happens. You could call this morning kind of family love 101. Family love 101 is just where we start. But if, if you want to get to next Sunday and the next Sunday, family love 201 and 301, you won't pass those classes unless you, unless you master what we're going to talk about this morning, family love 101. If you're like, family love 101 was hard and I failed it, then don't, don't go to 201, 301, because you're not going to make it. Well, we, this is where we start, and what we're going to be talking about this morning. And the place to start, Family Love 101, is about serving each other. That we love each other by serving each other. And I want that conversation to start in a couple places of our Bible that that are strategic for a couple reasons. We're going to go to two places in our Bibles. Go ahead and get your Bibles ready, warm them up, turn them on, wherever you do. Uh, two places, and, and these two places are interesting because, on, for one reason, we've been talking about both of these passages. So they're already fresh in our minds. We already have a little bit of understanding of what's going on in these two passages. If you've been here uh, up, in, in, up to this point, you've been uh, around Trinity for the last couple months, then you're familiar with these two passages, most likely. The other reason that these two passages are really important is because they both explicitly set up Jesus as an example. Explicitly. I mean, they use example words. Jesus is your example. And how he treats, how, how we see him act is how we are to treat one another. That's the context of both of these passages. So we're going to be looking at how Jesus has conducted himself. And that's going to be the standard, the measure by how we're to conduct our relationships with each other. Both of these passages do that exact same thing, and we're going to begin by opening our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. So go ahead and open your Bible to that passage. Philippians 2. And uh, we spent a good deal of time on Philippians 2 in our study at uh, Christmas time. We talked about selfless. And that's because in this passage we're going to look at, we see Jesus... And we see what Jesus has done for us. And the primary, the main thing we looked at as we looked at, uh, at Christmas in this passage, we looked at who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh. We'll see that as we read it. We looked at who Jesus is. But the, uh, the, that was our focus at Christmas. But the reason that Paul wrote this passage and told us what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he did is because he wanted us to see Jesus as, as an example for how to conduct our own behavior. We didn't talk about that part of Christmas. We just talked about who Jesus is. But the real reason that Paul used Jesus as, is because he wanted him to be an example. So at Christmas, we talked about who Jesus is. Today, I want us to see what Jesus did and the attitude that drove his actions. Because that is supposed to be our example as well. So we'll begin reading in Philippians chapter 2. And I think I'd like to pick it up here. I've got, I've got it up here, but 
I think what we'll do is we'll pick it up here in what I, is verse 5, your attitude. Your attitude, verse 5 says, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So explicit example, correct? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, we learned that in our study, Selfless, that this passage is probably an old creed. It's, it's a, a truth about who Jesus is that had already been circulating by Paul's, by the time that Paul used this as an example. It was already circulating, and the reason it was already circulating is because it was su- it's such an apt summary of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It shows how Jesus put love into action for us. And now the who of the passage, who Jesus is, he's God. He's God in the flesh. We talked about that at Christmas time. The what is that Jesus serves us by loving us. That's what he does. But the who, God, and the what serves us by loving us. They're not really the most important part of the passage. The accent is not on who Jesus is, even though that's what we talked about at Christmas time. The accent is not on who Jesus is. The accent, the emphasis of this passage is on how Jesus loved us. That's the, that's the real point, how Jesus loved us. And this is how Jesus loved us, in one big descent. This passage is one big descent from eternity and equality with God to crucifixion on a cross. Now, there are some milestones in between. You've got some milestones. As you look at this passage, you read that Jesus, even though he was... Uh, in very nature, God. You could kind of follow along. In very nature, God. But he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he made himself nothing. And he took on the very nature of a human being. And being made in likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Not just obedient, but obedient to death. And not just death but death on a cross. It's a giant descent from his role as God, his position as God, his eternal glory as God, to death on a cross. And it's that descent that Paul wants us to see. Paul wants us to see Jesus, who out of love for us goes lower and lower, and lower. Why does Paul want us to see Jesus going lower, and lower, and lower? Because that's what Jesus' followers are supposed to do for each other. Go lower, and lower, and lower. Look at the preceding verses, which we haven't yet read, starting in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests 
of others. Jesus' followers are to practice the same kind of dissent that Jesus practiced. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So do you see that descent, right, from selfish ambition and vain conceit to humility and putting other people first? That is supposed to be the same attitude. We see it in Jesus. It's supposed to be the same attitude that marks our behavior towards one another. Christian writer Anne Voskamp, she talks about, uh, she's great with words, and she talks about living in a world, in a culture, a society that's filled everywhere with ladders. Everywhere you look, there are ladders. There are ladders everywhere, and everyone is trying to climb up these ladders. And she says, what Jesus calls us to do is not climb up ladders, He calls on his followers to go low, to go low. And I want you to think about that when you read these verses. Do you see the ladders in this verse? Selfish ambition, that's a ladder, common ladder in our culture. Selfish ambition, basically what it says, I want to achieve for myself. I want certain things and I am motivated to accomplish them and they are for me. That's a ladder, selfish ambition, vain conceit. I deserve to be treated a certain way. I deserve to be uh, acknowledged as an awesome person. Vain conceit. We have two boys from China. They're still learning English, doing phenomenally, learning to read, really doing great. Uh, But every once in a while they come up with a humdinger. And uh, we were opening presents at Christmas time, and one of them opened up this present. He was so excited. He said, he said, awesome, amazing. A, a new word, awesome, amazing. So that's kind of the new, the new superlative at our house is awesome, amazing. Well, vain conceit is like, well, I am awesome, amazing. And I ought to be acknowledged as the awesome, amazing being that I am. And that's a ladder. It's a ladder. Vain conceit, it's a ladder. Awesome, amazing, it's a ladder. But humility, and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Humility is not a ladder. I, I thought you could also call this sermon, this message, you could call it shoots and ladders, you know, because that's what humility is. Humility is a chute that just takes you right down to the bottom. Shoo! Right? Humility. In humility... Consider other people better than yourselves. Go low. Jesus' followers don't climb ladders. We don't climb ladders. We go low in the faith family. That's how we put family love into action. That's how we put family love into action. Verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also uh, also to the interests of others. If we want to live love in our faith family, if we want to live love in our faith family, we go low to serve each other. 
When we follow Jesus and his life, we see that his whole life was about going low. One of the most powerful pictures of Jesus going low is the second passage we're going to look at. If you want, you can open, it to, open your Bible to John 13. We're going to summarize, but if you'd like to have your Bible open there, I don't blame you. Uh, John 13. One of the most powerful pictures of Jesus going low was the night that he was betrayed. And we've touched on this. Jesus did something the night that he was betrayed. So follow me. Jesus did something the night he was betrayed. And when he was finished doing it, he said these words. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. What was it that Jesus had just finished doing that he said, listen, I did that to show you guys how to treat each other. You remember what he did? That night uh, was the night that he was betrayed. And he, he had just finished. He said this statement right after he'd finished washing the disciples' feet. So that night's the night Jesus betrayed. It's just hours before he's going to be arrested and beaten and tried and crucified. You read all about it there in John 13. He's with his 12 followers. They're in a second-story room above a house, and they're there to celebrate the Jewish Passover. They don't know what's happening next. Jesus knows exactly what's happening next. And they're there to celebrate the Passover, but it's very awkward. It's a very awkward moment because they're all ready to eat. And when you eat in that culture, you lay down on a couch and kind of the, and the food is kind of in the center, and everyone's reclining on these couches, relaxing and eating food. Uh, and that's what's supposed to happen, this special meal, celebration of the Passover. But the awkward, the awkward part of the evening is they all have dirty feet. Um, someone is supposed to wash your feet when you arrive for a meal. But it's a rented room. If you rent a room, you know what that means? There's no host. There's nobody there to say, hey, come on in. Let me take care of you. Let me take your coat. There's no one there to do that. There's, there's no host and there's no servant. There's no host. There's no servant. So there's no one to wash their feet. It's very culturally uncomfortable. I wish we could get a sense of how awkward that moment must have been. Imagine this. Imagine that you're going to like a family reunion or something, some college friends, going to meet with some old friends you haven't seen in a while, and everybody lives kind of far away, so you're going to establish a central meeting point, and everybody has to travel about two hours to get there. So everybody gets there, you know, you get into this special room, everyone's traveled, they just are all arriving at the same time, and before you eat, you know, like everyone says, you know, I, I, uh, everyone needs to go to the bathroom. All right, so, you know, and so there are a dozen, 13 people there that you're meeting with, and everyone needs to use the restroom before you relax and eat. And, uh, but in the restroom, there's, the, the faucet's broken and there's no soap. And everybody uses the restroom and they're like, turn on the water. It's like, uh, and there's no soap and, uh, you know, and so they just walk out and everybody's been to the restroom and everybody knows, everyone who comes out of there, themselves included, they have not uh, practiced hygiene. And they're getting ready to eat, but everybody knows the water wasn't working, and the, there was no soap, and there's this like, bleh, you know? It must have felt something like that, that these 13 men are all standing around, bleh. 
when Jesus went low. They weren't going to wash each other's feet. That was a servant's job. It may have felt like, but I'm not going to do it. That's not my job. I don't wash feet. And Jesus is the one who goes low and he serves them. And he puts their needs above his preferences. And he takes the role of a house servant. He puts a towel around his waist. He gets on his knees down low and washes their feet. In the act of washing feet, Jesus shows all of his followers, this is an example of what it means to love each other and serve each other. And as you think about what happened in that room, I can see three different angles, three different facets of going low. And the first of those that Jesus personifies is He shows us that going low means doing something that's beneath you. Doing something that's beneath you. Washing feet was a servant's work, but there were no servants there. Now, if there aren't any servants, it seems like it should have gone to the disciple with the least seniority. Right? Well, who's been following Jesus the, the least amount of time, and James and John and Peter and Andrew, they're like, whoo, you know, not, not us. We were one of the first ones, you know, and the other guys are like, well, I was like April, and what were you? And seems like you should have gone to the ones with the least seniority or the youngest, you know, which might have been, might have been John or the shortest one, you know. Uh, someone should get the short straw there. But certainly one person in the room should not have been under consideration, Right? Jesus, of all of them, would not have been on that list. He was their Lord. He was their teacher. He was their rabbi. Rabbi itself, the term, means great one. Rabbi. Great one. But Jesus washed their feet. And read this with me. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. He had to take off his clothes to wash their feet. Down to like his working garments, you know? He put on his clothes and returned to his place, sat down where he should have been all along. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. See, Jesus did something that was beneath him. We go low in the faith family when we do something that is beneath us. When we do something that our culture says, you shouldn't have to do that. Or we do something that our church culture, our church culture says, you shouldn't have to do that. We do something, we go low when we do something that our role or our position or our length of tenure in the church or our age, young or old, says, you shouldn't have to do that, and we do it anyway. We go low when there is no job beneath us in the faith family. We will do any job to show each other that we love each other. We 
serve each other. We go low when we do something that's beneath us. There's a second way that Jesus goes low in this passage, and you don't realize it until you think about who's in the room with him. Who's in the room with Jesus? There are some disappointments in the room, to say the least. There are definitely some disappointments. Obvious one is Judas, right? The one who just a few hours from now is going to turn him over to the authorities. This is someone who's been on the team. He's been one of the guys, been through hard times with, with everyone together. One of Jesus' closest companions, and he's going to turn on Jesus. He's going to turn on him and turn him in. And Jesus knows it. Read the rest of John 13. You'll see Jesus knows this. Jesus wasn't like washing his feet, not knowing what was going to happen. Jesus knew when he washed Judas' feet, he was washing the feet of the one who just in a few hours, after he had time to eat, was going to go and turn, turn Jesus in. Now there's another person in the room, and Jesus washed his feet too. That's Peter. Peter, just a few hours from now, is going to deny he has anything to do with Jesus. Not once, three times. And Jesus knew that too. Read the rest of the chapter. Jesus knew that as well. But he washed Peter's feet. Actually, he washed the feet of all those disciples, and every one of them abandons him that night. Jesus went low by serving people who opposed him, by serving people who let him down. So going low, we'll just take the extreme example of Judas. Going low means uh, serving someone who's against us. Serving someone who's against us, and then obviously everyone between here and there. Because if, if it includes Judas, if Jesus can go low and even include Judas, then he's, he sets an example for us that we can go low by serving those who are against us. The truth is, even in a faith family, there are relational problems that can set one person against another. Going low means you serve that person anyway. When you're together long enough in a church, someone's going to disappoint you. If you stay long enough, we will all disappoint you. If it hasn't happened yet, it will. But family love says, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to go low. Even though our... Even though our relationship has history in it that doesn't make me happy. That still hurts me. I'm going to go low because you're my brother. You're my sister. We're family, and we love each other. Now, that's not easy. That's not easy for us. But that's why we have these strong instructions from Jesus and Paul to follow Jesus' example and go low. Jesus goes low by doing something that's beneath him. That's how he shows love. He goes low by serving someone who's against him. And finally, he goes low by doing something that costs him. We go low when we do something that costs us. Now, you take all the people in the room, all 13 people. Who has the biggest problem in the room? Among those 13 men, which one of them has the biggest problem? Jesus. Jesus has full knowledge of what the next 24 hours hold for him. Tonight, tonight, he's going to be arrested, beaten, tried, beaten, hammered to a cross, impaled with a sword. He's going to hang on a cross until he suffocates to death. So who deserves a break that night? Just think about it like that. You know, it's called the last meal. Jesus could have said, 
Why can't I eat my last meal in peace? Right? It's my last meal, guys. Why can't I eat it in peace? I mean, who deserves grace on this night? Who deserves a break on this night? Who should be receiving love? Who should be receiving comfort? Who should be receiving the serving? Jesus. But Jesus does just what Paul teaches. He considers others more important than himself. And even though it costs him, because it comes out of this slowly draining emotional reservoir, Jesus serves his brothers. As an example to us, we go low when we follow Jesus' example and do something that costs us. We go low when we do uh, something that's beneath us. We go low when we do something that's for someone that's against us. We, do lo- we go low when we, when we uh, do something that costs us. And these are the attitudes that both Paul and Jesus say that we're to bring into our faith family. Into our faith family. Uh, we want to be a church that goes low for each other. We want to be a church that goes low by doing things that are beneath us for each other, by, doing, by serving those who are against us, and by doing things that cost us. And we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, but as we serve each other in this way, then we get good practice on how to serve the world in the same way. But it all starts right here. It starts in the faith family, that local church where you've got to work things out. And that's what it means to go low. See, ladders are crowded places. Ladders are crowded. Everybody's crowded around ladders, even in churches. People crowd around the ladders. Nobody seems to crowd around the chutes. But the path to greatness is not up the ladder. The path to greatness is down the chute. The path to greatness is to be great like Jesus. If you want to be great like Jesus, then you're great at going low. Now, you can take this attitude, you can apply it to your marriage. To how you treat your husband, how you treat your wife. You can apply it to how you treat the people in your family. You can apply it to how you treat the people around you that God puts in your path. It's not easy, but it's God's vision for his people, and it's especially his vision for the church. So we have two explicit passages that say, be like Jesus, and this is how Jesus is. He goes low. Do that. And the context is in the local church context. Two passages that say, be like Jesus, and instead of holding Jesus up as a clever person or giving great answers to hard questions or defending the faith or... uh, Treating people in a certain, uh, uh, with, with uh, uh, a certain kind of uh, craftiness. Those aren't the examples that are held up as, as be like Jesus. It's be like Jesus and go low in serving each other. Because that's God's vision for the church. We can't love each other. The things we, we're going to talk about next Sunday and the next Sunday... We, we, can't even put, we can't even put those into practice unless we're willing to say, yep, I want to go low. I want to go low for the people in my faith family. So let me get you thinking about this applica- how to apply this by asking you a few questions.
Let me ask you this. There are so many different ways to apply this. I just want to uh, bring, bring up a few things. What about this? Is there a ministry at this church that you won't do because it's beneath you? You might not use those words, it's beneath me, but you're like, yeah, I'm not willing to do that. I, don't, I am not willing to do that. No. Is there a ministry at this church, a way of serving and loving people that you're like, that does not utilize my skills the way they ought to be utilized, and I'm not going to do it. Doesn't mean you say yes to everything, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm challenging you to think, is there something you're like, no, I will not do that at this church. Is there something that's beneath you? What if you just did it because you loved someone and wanted to show love to them? Uh, is there a need at this church? Is there a need that you see in someone that's going unmet? What if you did it just because you're the one who sees it? You're like, well, I'm not the only one who sees it because I someone else said something about it too. You know, I'm not the only one who sees it. Okay. You do see it. Well, other people should see it. Well, you do see it. Don't argue yourself out of what God has brought in front of you. And what if you just said, I'm going to go low with a smile on my face because I see a need and I have the opportunity to meet it. Is there a person who's disappointed you or who's maybe even been against you that you could love by serving? You're like, that would be too awkward. That would be, I don't even know what. Okay, what if the way that you privately, you and God privately agreed to love that person was just by praying, praying, praying for them? Praying God's blessing. Praying for God to be at work and, and, and praying good things for them. What if that's how you decided to wash that person's feet because some, you know, anything else might be too awkward right now? All right. Start there. And pray for them. Is there a need that you can meet, but you know it's going to cost you something? Something you could do for a brother or sister, but you know it's going to come out of your hide. What if you just met that need because you have a hide and, and you can do it? God's vision for you and me is that we will live love in our faith family and go low to serve each other. And when the world who is skeptical of what we believe sees that kind of love taking place, it's possible they might just become envious of how we treat each other and open to the truth that's, that, that drives it all. Because honestly, if you and I can learn to be selfish, uh, selfless, if you and I can learn to be selfless, there's hope for anybody, right? That is definite proof that Jesus changes lives. Dude, I don't know if you agree with that, but if I can learn to be selfless, that is proof Jesus changes lives. And I want to show you one more thing. We'll be done. I want to show you what will happen if you will do this. What will happen if you're willing to go low? You're like, ow, dang, this hurts, Brad. I don't know. This is stuff I don't really, I don't like it that much. Let me show you what will happen. It's the end of the passage. This is just about the last thing Jesus says. And Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You notice again, hey, it takes the emphasis out of head knowledge and what we did here this morning, because all we you didn't love anybody in the last uh, few minutes. You haven't loved anybody. You've just learned about it. Blessed are we. Blessed are we. Jesus promises if we will go and put these things into practice.
right? So that's what we want. Let's be a church that goes low. Let me give you a minute to to pray, talk to God, confess, ask for help, ask for specific steps, ask for sensitivity, whatever that you want uh, God to do for you as you learn to go low. Father, these are big challenges. This is not easy. When we get to this level of specificity, yeah, we can feel the we can feel the challenge. We can feel the tension. It's hard. But we look at we know what love is because Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we want to follow him. We want to have the same family trait that marked Jesus, his selfless love. And we need you to help us carry that out in this faith family. So that's a work only you can do. Make each of us, every one of us who name the name of Jesus, make each of us really sensitive to the, the moving of your spirit in our lives and really aware of how we can show love to one another. And I pray that as we continue to love each other more and more, that we will look more and more like Jesus to each other and to a world that's skeptical of what we believe. And we ask you to do this work in us. Only you can do it. So please do it. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen.